Hello there. Don't have a good day. Have a great day. Talk to me, Goose. Restless. You steal the Declaration of Independence. Why? So simple. I could do this all day. Are you watching closely? Welcome, everybody, to the One Eyed Film Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Mossberg, and today we got the Nolan Bros back with us. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I thought you were going to start screaming, Top of the morning to your laddies. <laughs> <laughs> Top of the morning to your laddies. Top of the morning to your laddies. Welcome back, you guys. Always fun to have you guys back. Yes, my pleasure. Morning, I guess. <laughs> I love that. Today we're talking about Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. An amazing film that the three of us saw together. We don't live nearby, but we drove basically across the state to see this movie together. And we were blown away. Like I had been, I had been hearing some good things about it, and seeing it in person in the theaters was just so much fun. And it's, we'll we'll get into it, but it's such an entertaining movie that's just easygoing, funny, and some deep themes that we'll really get into. And I want to hear what you guys both thought about it and think about it. Like, what are what are your current thoughts versus what you thought either before or after seeing it for the first time? My initial thoughts going into it, before I even watched it, I had seen so many good things, heard so many good things. I've seen a lot of stuff on TikTok about the death character and how awesome he was. So going into it, I already had pretty high expectations. They were still met and exceeded. It was really entertaining. Something I was nervous about, though, is sometimes when you go to watch a movie, you think it's really good while you're watching it, but then you leave the theater, and then you think, hmm, there's a plot hole here, there's a plot hole here. No, that didn't happen with this movie. It was, I went home, and all I could hear was Death's Whistle, and all I could think about was just how entertained I was, per se. It was top-notch, and... We need more movies like this because it was just refreshing. There wasn't any, like, political side to it. There wasn't anything in it that felt like... No agenda. Like yeah, exactly. It was just entertainment, and I liked that. Yeah, that whistle is going to haunt me for a little bit because I've seen so many YouTube shorts that are just kind of not quite scary but they're just like they keep on using that whistle over and over again it's become a meme now and i've sent you guys a couple of these like you know pov when you hit a minecraft villager like it's it's those type of scenarios it's just really funny because at the same time like that whistle is super terrifying i just yeah whenever i think of something scary i just think of that whistle but beyond that though it was a really good film yes and i'm very grateful that you know seth you invited us to go and that i did go watch it because yeah it was just really fun and i really enjoyed sitting down and you know, enjoying the movie in the movie theater, because I don't really do that often. And, you know, sometimes as of late, I've been kind of disappointed with the movies I have seen. But this one has definitely stuck with me. And as I think more about it, I've grown to enjoy it more. So I liked it. Let's talk about the whistle really quick. Josh, I want you to call me. Take your phone and call me right now. Okay, okay. I know where this is going because you told me about it. And that's sweet. I need to figure out how to do it for me. So I made it my ringtone because I just love the first the melody. The melody's pretty good. And just almost being scared when I hear it go off and then I remember it's my ringtone. But also it's even a fitting theme to be like signifying of your time is not forever, death is coming and it's almost like the Unis Honest type of feeling where you you're you know that 
you're not going to live forever. And so make the most of your life. And that's what Poos realizes. And it's kind of a reminder for me, but also it's fun. It's fun to kind of have that that scare because that, that whistle still gives me chills. I watched it a second time. And every time he shows up, just shivers every single time. It was so good. Coolest character too. Like that's, he is one of the coolest villains ever mm-hmm. like most movies i just consider them the bad guy but no this guy he's he earned the title of being a villain and dreamworks has done really well with their villains like they're they kind of knock it out of the park with all of their villains and how they're presented and their their motivations and all that so i'm glad that this was that type of character but also like people have said not only is it the best dreamworks villain but i don't think he's the best villain of cinema but he's up there and it's weird again it's so weird to give this kind of praise to a sequel to a spinoff from the second movie of shrek what shrek of all movies (laughs) you'll you wouldn't expect this from something about an ogre who lives in a swamp and talks to a donkey all day Mm -hmm. you wouldn't expect that but here's the thing this movie doesn't connect to that the only thing that it mm-hmm. is is obviously Poos was from the the Shrek movies, but besides a couple nods like to Pinocchio and the Gingerbread Man, this is a completely separate movie. It does not matter that this also exists in Shrek's world. It, it can be a complete standalone movie, and both with the art style and with just the story. The only thing that I wish I knew a little bit more was his relationship with Kitty Softpaws from the first Puss in Boots movie, but. Even that, I I hadn't seen it, and it and it still didn't like detriment my viewing of it. I could still watch it and enjoy it. I think the whistle is just so powerful because it's if you listen to it, it's kind of not super scary on its own. If you would like maybe change the tune or whatever, but the way he's he does it, and every time you hear that whistle, you know, oh boy, this is something. Something's gonna go down because every time we see it, it's just we see. The whistle and Pusa's like his hair stands up and like and you see it in his eyes that his his eyes go wide and he starts freaking out and like we as the audience start freaking out because we're like oh no what's gonna happen like anything can kind of happen the cards are down this wolf guy who we don't really know at the start what he is we just know that he does the whistle and that's kind of his calling sign and it's terrifying I want to talk about the animation really quick because as you may know I have a degree in animation no biggie wait. I- I have a question. Yeah. Do you have a degree in animation? I think I do, yeah. You aren't sure? As someone who has a degree in animation, I'm sorry. If you guys didn't know, that was a meme that was posted by one of our community members in our Discord, which you should totally have joined by now. We have a lot of fun commentary and discussion over there and memes, obviously, and it has become a meme that I have loved. I'd use that excuse way too much, but I think it's really funny. Anyways, I do want to talk about the animation of this movie because it really diverted from the Shrek style. I mean, it was still the same style in the sense of how the characters looked. It still looked the same as Shrek, but it was very different. And I think this is a turning point in the animation industry. I watched an incredible video by Flying Walrus. I think I've talked about him before. He does some great video essays, and I'll link this one again in the description so you can watch it. He talks about how this could be the changing point for animation in how Mm -hmm. people approach it and how studios approach it. There has been almost a very boring feeling in recent movies. For example, the Pixar universe and their style, it's okay, and they have their look, but it's nothing new. We've seen it for, what, 10 years now, and it just looks boring. Like, I almost didn't see Soul. I haven't seen Onward. I haven't seen Strange World. I mean, for other reasons besides just animation. I'm not saying animation alone, but it's just not interesting. And then when I see something like Puss in Boots being this painterly style and even almost embodying what Arcane and Into the Spider-Verse have brought, gets your attention. 
like it can still be in the same style as Shrek. Like we can all realize it's still the same Puss in Boots and it's in the Shrek universe, but it looks different with all the action lines and extreme and emphasized poses and all this action that's so different than what we're used to from the Shrek universe. And it grabs your attention in a different way. Now, I don't want that style to become the style that becomes the usual and repetitive and then boring again. I just want animation studios to find something that makes it unique and anime did this for a while like you can really do this with hand-drawn animation and how you use that to your advantage but obviously like i already said into the spider-verse and arcane did that in a special way and it's just something that makes it stand out more than just an animated movie and on top of that what flying walrus said it makes it so you cannot enjoy it as a live action movie this could not be a live action movie because half of the enjoyment is watching all of all of the things that go on with it. And I think one thing that I... I haven't experienced this firsthand, but people have been talking about the live-action remake of Cap, of Cowboy Bebop and how that didn't work because you can't have this... You can't just make it live-action and expect everything to translate. There are things that are special to that style, and that's why animation exists. You cannot... Like, I'm, I'm worried about the Little Mermaid movie simply because I don't know how they're going to do Flounder and Sebastian as a talking fish and a talking crab. It's just special to animation and they nailed it the first time around, and it just doesn't translate to animation. And when you can make an animated movie that is obviously not going to be ever made into a live-action movie, it's it's special. It's it's part of the style, how you make it, and also just, you know, the themes that you put into it, or the, the style that it is. Yeah, and now I'm just imagining, like, a live-action, like, CGI, poorly animated oh. Puss in Boots and the wolf, and, like, them interacting with real-life people. That's just, a, yeah, that's, that, just, that's just the charm of the movie. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's exactly like the old Disney films. I mean, you can maybe make an argument that some of them, like the new remakes, have been okay, and I found them to be fine personally. But it's definitely true that the look is different. It doesn't quite have that same charm that the cartoons had. I'm still gonna go to choose and watch the classic Disney movies rather than the live action. If I'm ever yeah. in the mood to watch The Lion King, I'll go watch the animated lion king because you can't you can't recreate perfection yeah that is what they're trying to do they're trying they're trying to reheat perfection in the oven of many many dollars it was perfect you don't have to try and create it because you think that new technology will make it better because Mm -hmm. nothing can to an extent it does because it was cool to see real lions still talking about lion king real lions in a story about the lion king but it again it just doesn't it doesn't work the same because Lions don't emote the same way as if there's a a level of disbelief in an animated world. Almost being animated gives us a level of disbelief that it isn't real. You understand it's a lion, but you understand that it's a talking lion. And when you bring it into live action, live action, it was all computer animated, but it looked real. You you lose that sense of this is supposed to be fake. And it it when you pretend that it's real as though it could have happened, like the Lion King looking really real, then it again loses some of its unbelievability and that's what makes it so fun to watch you know yeah but we're gonna get back to puss and boots. boots. we're gonna get back to puss and boots somebody already said it i think will said it that this was an entertaining movie with no agenda there have been a lot of movies especially coming from disney that have had a message behind them that is not okay for kids to watch and we might talk about that in a future episode because i have some strong beliefs on this there was no real agenda here at least politically there were some themes that we'll talk about in a little bit that were really good and i liked but it was mostly just a movie that was fun to watch i've said a lot that movie more movies like national treasure need to be made 
where it's just entertaining. And some may argue, you know, National Treasure is very, the- very, very leaning towards the right, but it's really not. It's just leaning towards history of of America, and it's entertaining to watch. It's not heavy on any current political or social themes that the directors feel they need to put in there. It's just a movie that's fun to watch. And I think that was most movies up until a couple years ago when we started to get bombarded with messages about social topics that had no place in a movie. Like, make a documentary instead. I just want to watch a movie and not be screamed at about how I'm wrong. That's basically the gist of it. Yeah, this was a very, we've used the term before, refreshing. And it's maybe become a bit overused, but it's very true to the fact that I really enjoy just sitting down with you guys and then getting hyped. I've been thinking about it. It's been kind of a while since i've sat down and watched a movie and been hyped about like what's going to happen what, what are these going to what are these characters going to do who's going to die that sort of scenario it wasn't like that intense obviously it's like kind of brings back to the old marvel days when we'd sit down and like watch infinity war or endgame and we were ecstatic about it and my favorite scene is still or at least one of my favorite scenes for the film it's just like that opening sequence where we get like boots and boots and he's fighting that giant tree forest thing and like that i think just really amplifies what i love about it because it's fun. It's entertaining. The animation is just top notch. I just love how it all flows together, and it's just really entertaining to watch. Like this, you know, this charismatic cat hero take down this enormous forest tree end thing, Imajiki, and bring it down. And then, you know, that's when we get the start of the movie, though. When once he spoiler <laughs> dies for the eighth time, and we start kicking off things and actually delving deeper, though, and into some really interesting themes, though. It was the final fight scene with death in in the sick blades by the way and when he did the like fire circle or whatever that is goosebumps right away i was audibly squealing in my chair and when death put his sickles together and created the staff so cool animation gave me goosebumps again on top of the goosebumps i already had and it brought me back to sitting in the chair I was thinking about this while we were watching it. Like this just bring me brings me back to days where I was so excited for a movie to just see what happened. Like Cap saying Avengers assemble when everyone was charging into battle. This movie, I'm not going to say it matched the energy, but it almost did. It's close, it man. It was up there. It's so it weird. It's so weird that this movie out of all of them stood out. Dare I say yeah. like a sore thumb in reference to Jack Horner? Can we it, talk about his character? Sure. Actually, I have a few notes about him <laughs> and how crazy characters can be so entertaining, entertaining <laughs> to watch. Jack, just for me to just to simplify, I'm just going to call him Jack. Jack, his character, honestly, one of my favorite. Death, obviously, number one, but he's number two just because he's creative. They used so many Easter eggs like Excalibur, Jiminy Cricket, all of these other things just to make his character like stand out with all of these easter eggs but also they gave him that crazy like psychopath character i don't know i love that we see that in jinx in arcane and that's one of my favorite actually it is my favorite tv show but we also see it in joker which the dark knight is my favorite movie tied with spider-man into the spider-verse but i love the psychopath dynamic when it comes to characters there's another movie that has it, and they did it right, and it's really funny. Actually, yeah, the villains, I think we should really just dive into that, because they're probably 
one of one of the best, if not the best part of this film, I'd say. Just because if you look at it, we kind of have three different types of villains who are both really, really fun and enjoyable in their own distinctive way because they kind of seem to exemplify the villainous genres. So you have Death, who's this wolf, and he's this mysterious character. We don't know a lot about him, and we learn more and more, but he's like the ultimate threat to everyone. Whenever we hear that whistle and see him, we get just terrified. We as the audience and Puss just terrified because he's just this threat that cannot be stopped. He's a force of nature type of being. And he's just super scary and mysterious. Then we have Big Jack Horner, who is the irredeemable villain. And they really play into that because like even the little Jiminy Cricket from the Pinocchio story, he like basically says, like, you're a monster, because that's what Jack Horner is. Like he is he's a monster, he's irredeemable, but he's kind of that fun character and they get to play around with that. And then you have the Goldilocks and the three bears, and you kind of get that redeemable sort of quality. They're not they don't really get redeemed, but it's they're kind of like the sympathetic villains, or at least you understand why they're doing what they're doing. And each of them play this part in this story and they're all fighting each other. At the same time fighting the the good guys and it's really enjoyable because we get to see the different villainous genres exemplified in them and they play them out so perfectly and their characters so well in the story and it just makes it so much more enjoyable yeah and i can't name another movie who has made not only two but three villains each of them having different arcs that are vastly different. We have death, which is consistent throughout the whole thing. He he doesn't change because it's death. Doesn't death doesn't change. Jack, who is also not changing but is just on a rapid decline. You you see that he's just actually bad. Mm-hmm. He's not bad because he's supposed to. He's bad because he chooses to be bad. Mm-hmm. And he's okay with that. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. He's the villain he's the villain who knows he's the bad guy and he enjoys it. Yeah. Exactly. And then we have Goldilocks and the Three Bears which are bad but for good reason and they actually end up being good in the end. Well, and or, well, I don't know that they're good in the end, but they're they yeah. they definitely They have redemption. They have redemption. That's they're yeah. still a crime family, but it's again, it's all silliness. Yeah kind of yeah. red dead redemption yeah 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 will you brought up jack horner's like fun gadgets and trinkets that he has and i le- i remember leaning over to josh during the movie and saying aren't a lot of those like copyrighted by disney and then i realized that or josh realized and told me that they're they're fairy tales that disney adopted and made into their own and so disney has like copyrights to those retellings of the fairy tales it's kind of like the winnie the pooh situation where they just you know they're releasing winnie the pooh blood and honey where the original was its own thing and the disney version is is its own thing so I saw Cinderella and I saw Mary Poppins and there are all these other references to what I thought were Disney movies, but they're just they're just nursery rhymes or they're nursery stories or something like that, which again, is very creative. And possibly it's because they knew there was kind of at the last of the, the Shrek movies because they could have used those in a different way, possibly in references, because I think Shrek 5 is confirmed. So that'll be interesting. But they kind of threw in anything else that they had and they were like, okay, Jack can use these gadgets for for fun and all that yeah magic carpet was the other one oh yeah it's also crazy to think everybody only knows the disney stories but like if you look into it the real story of cinderella is messed up sleeping beauty really messed up like i'm i'm glad disney disneyified those stories and that's before disneyified meant something worse disneyified was like made it actually yeah. kid-friendly back then yeah the mm. newer stuff is more kid-friendly than what it used to be mm. with yeah. what the original stories are it's crazy again let's get back to puss in boots yeah <laughs> we're really talking kind of meta here i want to talk yeah. about the both the intro scene to death 
and the final scene, the final fight scene. The intro scene is close to perfection. It introduces the villain as though he's a normal character, and I knew that it was death going into it, but some people didn't. Some people just thought he was like a bounty hunter. But it was, for for one thing, when the fight actually starts and when death gets Poos with his sickle and draws blood, that is a perfect callback to what Poos had said like minutes ago about Poos and Boots has never been touched by a blade. And so we have that kind of in in the back of our mind and we're like, oh no, this is the real deal. And seeing, he just spent a whole 10 minutes singing a song about how he's our favorite fearless hero. And to see him run scared, climbing out of the sewer because he is actually scared that he could be bested. And he knows that he could easily be bested. And that's where it, this this movie was such a roller coaster. Very goofy, silly, and might I say jokes that hit and land and are actually funny. They're not groaners. They're not stupid. No, they were really yeah. funny. But on the other hand, it's also like really weighty themes of death and your last life and valuing your life and what you do with it. And with Poos living so frivolously because a cat has nine lives and he was on his last. But we don't have that. We we just have one life and what are we going to do with it that, that resonates with us. And it, this is where I want to ask you guys. I know you probably have a lot to say, but is Poos in Boots, The Last Wish, a kid's movie or an adult movie? It is a kid's movie because that is it has, in a certain sense, marketed to a degree to that. And it's I, I don't know the rating of it, but it's be like, is it PG-13? It's PG. Okay, if it's be then it it's clearly has some uh, marketing towards that. However, let's again go back to Disney. Disney movies are kid movies, but if you start taking some time to dig into them and just really enjoy them, and people still, even as adults, like enjoy these movies. And so in that sense, it's it's a kid's movie because it's made for kids, in a sense. But at the same time, it's also equally perfect for adults. I would argue that the directors knew what they were making, and I know every age can enjoy it. You've got a kid just out of the womb who would still be able to love (laughs) (laughs) cat, cat, kids love cat. And then you've got the 75 year old guy who is just watching a movie with his kids, but unintentionally gets glued to the TV because it's actually a good movie. Like, I don't, I know the directors had this in the back of their mind, like this is going to be enjoyed by everyone. Sure. It has a PG rating, but the themes in there, death only having one life and having to live that one life to the fullest because you don't know how much you're going to get it's there's a limit so it's very it it definitely has a very diverse audience that can be any age range that's what i would argue i think it's a trick question i i i didn't mean for it to be a trick question but as i thought about it i was like you know there is there shouldn't be such a thing as a kid's movie. There's definitely things like if they made a Cocomelon movie, yes, that's a kid's movie. No adult should watch that and have a good time. <laughs> um, but That's a baby yeah. movie. That's that a argument. baby movie. But there are, for the majority of kids' movies, deep themes that adults can learn from it almost. And I, I think of Up specifically just because that was a very heavy movie and I still yeah. love it. A lot of adults love it. It would be labeled as a kid's movie. And maybe that... Maybe that's defined as a kid can watch it as opposed to like a Marvel movie. But I really don't think that an adult watching a kid's movie should be a bad thing. Just because it's labeled as a kid's movie does not mean you can't get something out of it. Up, this movie, there's a lot of movies that are really good in their storytelling that most of it goes right over a kid's head. But their parents or adults who watch it as well get so much more from it from the movie's themes that, that they put in there. I think kind of what you're getting at is the intersection between a kid's movie and a good movie. Because, I mean, we've kind of defined a good movie as a movie that you'll go back and watch again. Like, we've asked ourselves, would I watch this again? And for Puss in Boots, yes, totally. 
I would definitely watch this again. And so I think there's a lot of kid movies that aren't good movies, but a lot of best movies that we remember are oftentimes kids movie, kid movies that are so good that we just keep coming back to them. And this is definitely one of those films. That's why I used Up as an example, because Up is that movie that you keep coming back to and love with your whole heart because it's really, really emotional. Yeah. Then you've also got stuff like Lion King and other movies along those lines that'll fall under that. But then you have something like maybe, I don't know, in my opinion, Madagascar that I think would just be a kid's movie because I watch it. I don't see any themes that I could really, I don't know, digest on as someone. I'm I'm not considering myself an adult. I'm that uh, awkward adult in between 18 and 21. But I can't, like, I can when I was a kid. Madagascar falls under there. But this movie, it's definitely something that I will be re-watching for the rest of my life (laughs) because of how enjoyable it is and how there's more to it than just a cool cat who wears boots doesn't die yeah and has cool boots <laughs> um just really quick madagascar would rewatch for nostalgia to remember my childhood i don't think that it's yeah. an adult movie disguised as a kid's movie i think it's a kid's movie that i enjoy because it reminds me of my childhood and there is a difference the guy who plays death wagner Mor- morna wagner morna i don't know it's a foreign name. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right. He has the same sort of voice that I think of. I think of Nick Nolte as Bruce from Over the Hedge, who just has that throat guttural voice that imitates that that predator growl. And just everything he says is just so base that is scary. And especially when Death laughs in this and does a little chuckle, it's so low and and scary. It's, it's, it's so weird to be scared at a at a villain and that's that's also why i asked is it kids movie because any kid who watches this is gonna pee their pants (laughs) um because i almost did (laughs) it's just so it's scary it's weird to to be scared by that what also i think masks some of the scariness of it is how cool the character is as well quite honestly if that wolf were to come and kill me i would probably just be draw dropping like dude you're so cool (laughs) and then i'd die <laughs> That'd be my last words. You would die from the shock. You'd be like, "Oh my goodness!" Why don't we talk about the main character though? Because we we've talked about the villains, which I mean, we can still do that because they're just uh, good. But let's talk about the main character who this movie is all about: Puss in Boots. So, what what do you guys feel about him? I mean, I've seen him before. I've watched the movie that predated this, the the one that this is a sequel to. But it's interesting seeing this type of heroic character being kind of so brutally broken down and literally running from death, but then having this super really cool fight scene at the end and kind of reclaiming his, not quite his honor, but his self-identity in a certain way. So what do you guys think about Poos and maybe just the other important protagonist or side characters? He was he was very haughty at the beginning, and that's the whole point. But by the end, he was haughty in a different way. And haughty, you know, proud or full of himself. He was very proud that he was everyone's favorite. And now, at, by the end, I, I think specifically of the moment where he kicks Death's sickle back at him. And he he has this different pride. He has pride, one, in his skill, because he is a very skillful swordsman, swords cat. And he, he just has a, a different look on life. And that's the whole point by the end, is that he is prepared to live his life to the fullest. And he's he's now proud in a way that he is confident, not against Death in the sense that he was before, 
where he didn't care. But now he's proud against death because he knows that he, one, can, can fight him. Not and win, because he doesn't win against death. He, know, he says, one of, one of the best lines at the end is, I know I can never defeat you, Lobo, but I will never stop fighting for this life. He knows that death will eventually come for him, but he's not ready yet. And, he, and death realizes that. Death realizes, he says, I came here for an arrogant little legend who thought he was immortal, but I don't see him anymore. And that was, that was really cool. I don't think that's a, a direct correlation to anything that could happen in real life because death comes for us all, but it's still meaningful for the movie. Actually, I am taking Spanish, but I just, I really love that specific connotation because like no one ever says that. He literally says goodbye death. Like, Austin aboard thing, and it's just yeah, it was it was very it was very interesting. My thoughts on our protagonist personally, I saw most of the character arc coming because we have a few we have seen this kind of character arc. I didn't say it wasn't predictable, man. It's a very predictable movie, but it's 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 still really good. It's it's really well done, and I'm not going to discredit it for that. But I have the least amount of notes on Poos because. Yes, we see a character arc, but quite honestly, the reason the movie stood out so much was because of all the other characters. Yes, the meat is with Poos, but I would argue that the seasoning of all the other characters is what makes the whole movie taste so good, to keep using the same metaphor, but... No, I like that. I like that metaphor. It's, it's, the, it's the base... But the thing that actually makes it enjoyable is everyone else. Yes. And I, I'd i love to talk about him. But the reason that the movie is good is because of all the other stuff. We could easily argue about a ton of other movies that have really good meat as a choice. But they choose to season it with the wrong stuff. And it doesn't work. Agreed. And that is what makes a decent movie. Mm-hmm. You just don't season it right. Mm-hmm. And this, this movie is perfectly cooked, well-seasoned. I've got food sitting in front of me, and I'm just getting hungry. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. It wasn't, necessar- Another... it, went, it wasn't necessarily Poos's story arc and development and character development. It was everyone else and their role in his life, you know? And that's what makes our life interesting too like (laughs) it's uh, not us it's other people no you're right though (laughs) yeah my life is incredibly boring in the moments that i am alone it's just me talking to myself or belting (laughs) katie perry at the top of my lungs there's no there's no spice but when i start going to hang out with friends i go to church i go here i go there that's where life gets interesting in just like in movies it's nothing with just the protagonist being a protagonist that's what happens to him it's kind of predictable like you said what we see but i think another character is probably for the non-villain side is probably my favorite is perdito and i just really liked him because at at the start i was kind of like kind of meh with him because he's this silly little dog who doesn't quite fully grasp you know the full situation of what's going on He's, he's got an innocent quality to him, that naivety, because he's like, you know, I just want to be your friend and let me hang out with you, friend, and we're friends now, and I want to be a therapy dog and all that. But he really grew on me as the story progressed, and there's a couple of reasons why. I think one of the reasons is that scene where Poos is terrified, like he sees death again, and like when everyone's fighting and Poos just bolts, he just runs, and he's terrified. That scene was very evocative because we really only hear his heartbeat the scene is very dark and he's just freaking out and Perdito goes after him and then he sees that 
Poos is just freaking out, and he does the best thing he can. He just lays his head down and lets Poos pet him, and the, you know, then we stop hearing Poos's heartbeat, and it the scene goes back to normal colors and sound. And I really like that scene. And then just Perito, he's like I said, he's got that innocent quality to him. Like the whole reason they're doing this the whole reason of the movie is to go on this journey to get the last wish and perdito goes with them because they're his friends but not because he wants the wish like he says at the when they go you know i'm fine i have everything i need and that quality of i have everything i need is actually where poos ends up at the end of the story he's like i have kitty i have perdito i don't need to have more lives i'm going to spend the best i can with this one life i do have and i really like that yeah yeah. That was such a sad, sad line. I remember my girlfriend almost cried at it. The... I already have a comfy sweater and two best friends. I got everything I could wish for. No magic required. So wholesome. <laughs> I love it. I love Perdito's character. He d- he also gives just really good comedic relief. And mm-hmm. not, not that the movie was lacking in comedic relief at all, but it's just another just another aspect of hey life's okay and also i honestly think we could learn something from him because when his friend was having a panic attack he just sat there and was just there for someone that's he, nice he was he, he was just there but that's also what that's also what therapy dogs do they set their heads on your stomach slash chest and kind of regulate your heartbeat and it, it calms you down so it's also yeah. it's attention to detail and it's also just being a friend and that's yeah. that's kind of the point of of Perito. I also think we could stand to learn from Perito because he's just, his thought process is very simple. It's either this way or this way. And he just has a constant positive mental attitude. And sometimes that's the best way to approach a situation. If something sucks, just be positive. It's it's easier. It's easier said than done than that. But I understand where you're coming from. I will eat my own words. It is much easier said than done. I am not good at it. But still, like, there's a lesson in there, too. Like, it just, don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> don't worry. Be happy now. <laughs> we all care too much. And we all think yeah. too much. And if, if we just let it go a little bit, maybe don't don't be so stressed about it. And like you said. It never bothered me anyway. <laughs> don't worry. Be happy. There's so many. <laughs> I, am, I have a couple of issues with that specific phrasing because, yeah, there is some wrong places you can go with that. But. Yes, I think just the character and the phrase you've used, there is a good truth to that. Now, Perito, he is obviously kind of naive, and he doesn't necessarily always grasp the full situation all the time, and there's some learning that he can do from there. But at the same time, he's, his character is very important for kind of a reflection of what Poos and Kitty are supposed to be like and how they kind of end up at the end. Yeah. I, 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 would, I, would counter you, I would counter your idea that... Counter? I would counter your counter that Don't Worry, Be Happy is a bad ideology because it's actually in the Bible. Don't worry about tomorrow because God's got tomorrow. It's an abridged version. There's, there's one of my... one of my Not one of my favorite songs. I got a lot of favorite songs. There's a song by Skillet called Stars that says, If you can hold the stars in place, you can hold my heart the same. Bars. Bars. <laughs> Bars. Um, it's fire, man. It's it's true that God has us and will not let us go. You shouldn't be worried about tomorrow. Yes, you have a responsibility to do things. You can't just sit back on your lazy boy all day and expect good things to happen. You you have to put work in, but you also shouldn't be worried. And I need to hear that just as much as anyone. I worry a lot, and it's it kind of drives me crazy sometimes. So Perito is a very 
strong character, even though he's a very weak and naive character, it's very fun to watch somebody not worry. And the, the little dog who has not a care in the world. And yes, it's because he doesn't know any better, but not caring is kind of, is, is, is I shouldn't say not caring is biblical. Not worrying is a very biblical theme. What's your counter yeah. to my counter of your counter? Oh, oh very easily. Oh, <laughs> very easily. Ah, oh, we got an argument on our hands, boys. Don't be stupid. Got a Happy sword fight in here. I suppose the sort of counter to your counter to your counter to your counter is, like, we're obviously not called to be naive. Uh, no. That's, that's long past us. The thing I would say is that we don't have an ultimate worry. We can have a sort of immediate worry to the circumstances because, I've, like I've said before, I've grown up on a farm, and, you, like, you have to handle the chores and the jobs that needs to get done. And it's not always going to be easy and you're not always happy. So that's why I would say instead of being don't worry, be happy, I think I don't like that phrasing. Instead, it's more the fact that life's rough and it's going to be tough and you're going to have to endure it. But you have an ultimate hope. And I think what you've been talking about can kind of go into this theme that is prevalent within Poos Boots because Poos has an has a worry like, you know, he's he's spent his eight lives, he's lived it to the fullest. You know, he's been on this hero's journey, or he's been on this heroic journey of tales and epic legends and wooing maidens and all sorts of crazy shenanigans and whatnot. But then he loses his eighth life, and he's on his last life. And he and it hits him, he's like, oh no, this, this is it. This is all I've got left. And he has that terrible fear, and that is quite literally manifested in the form of death, who's haunting him and cunning after him. And as Christians, that's quite different, because... We, we do worry about like our circumstances and what's going to happen. And I'm not going to downplay that. And I don't want to be naive and caught on the guards. I want to be as prepared as I can in this world. But I have this ultimate hope and faith and joy in the fact that I know where this is all going to go. And I know whom I can rely on. And Poos doesn't have that. And even and he, he sort of gets a, a certain type of that feeling in the end. He's like, I'm going to spend this life to the fullest I can. But it's still very reassuring for me personally that no matter what happens, I have this ultimate hope. I know what is at the end of the tunnel. I can see this light as dim as it is and as dark as this tunnel is. I know what's at the end of it and I'm going towards it and I will get there one day. I agree. Mars. Mars. Final thing I want to touch on is a little subplot that we get that I didn't really expect. Goldilocks and the Three Bears. That was kind of yeah. a very popular children's rhyme that hadn't been touched on in the Shrek movies yet. And I think they nailed it. And this were this, oh man, this subplot almost had me crying. I I, I know there there's a lot more emotion with like what Poos realizes about life and all the moments with Perito and all that. But the Goldilocks subplot was very emotional. And it was almost it was very almost a strong theme for an adoptive family, an orphan being adopted into a family, even though they're a bear family. <laughs> um and but she realizes that she doesn't actually want her wish of a real family. She realizes she's got everything she's ever wanted in a family, even if it's a bear family. But Mama Bear is one of the most loving characters in the movie is what I realized. She says, her exact quote is, when she realizes what Goldie's wish actually is, she says, And whether you think we're your family or not, if this is something that will make you happy, we'll get you that wish. And I don't want that to be advocating for giving your child whatever they want. I believe very strongly in a parent parenting and not letting your child do whatever you want. But Goldie is an adult at this point, And so Mama Bear is willing to help her towards her goal of having a real family, even if that hurts her. And she, and Mama Bear is saying this with tears in her eyes, saying that even if, if Goldie doesn't see the bears as her family, she will help get to her wish of a real family. 
and it's flipped on its head when Goldie has the map in her hands and she could make the wish for a real family and leave the bears behind, but she realizes she loves them because Baby Bear's about to die. <laughs> Baby Bear's about to be sucked into the, the giant star wall and die, and she saves him. And then, yeah, they just, they, she, she realizes she's had everything she's ever wanted in, in the family that she's grown to, grown to love, even if they're bears. You could say she has the bear necessities. No. Nope. Oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Uh, I know you do. I hate me too. <laughs> that was a nice subplot. And again, it was pretty predictable. We saw kind of, you know, okay, she's she feels kind of orphaned, even though she's a little orphan. She she wants her own true family. And then she does that the family was the one she had along the way. But the execution was so good that it still made you feel for her and understand her. And really, although there's still kind of villainous at the end, you, you kind of enjoy these characters how they end up by the end of the film and so that was really nice i do want to credit the reason that this kind of predictable plot is with goldilocks and the bear family i want to credit it to the acting because they did a really <laughs> good job like honestly the flawless from mama bear i was really impressed and i thought about it while i was sitting in the theater chair like it it was really good and the execution there was perfect i do want to give credit to olivia coleman and florence Pugh, who absolutely nailed nailed that acting it was it was really good. Obviously, the acting throughout the whole movie was awesome, but that that spe- especially just stuck with me, and I couldn't tell you why. Maybe maybe just because it was well done. That final fight was so intense. I could watch it a thousand times, and especially the so part good. where you think death is coming in for the final blow because Puss doesn't have his sword, and he pulls out the Gatito blade and stops it. With the tiniest Ooh. of blades, and it just mimics like the size difference between Puss and Death with the sickle and the tiny Gatito blade. Oh man, that, that was, was so. That was a Captain America catching Milner moment. Oh, it was. And then he's because because then he's still swinging and he stops it with the Gatito blade and then picks up his hat on his way around. Just that moment yeah. of I got this, bro. <laughs> we see, and that, that ties in so well with the thematic parts of the story because you know he's basically being deconstructed by Death. Like he loses his identity, he buries himself earlier in the film, and then like he he like shapes his beard, and then so he gets that back, and then like he in the fight itself he loses his armor, his sword, his his boots, and then the last thing that you know that he decides to fight for is Kitty. That's what he's fighting for, and like that's exemplified by the blade, by the little knife that she gave him. Is like this is what I'm gonna fight for. I'm gonna die for this, not for all the other stuff, not for my boots, not for my hat, not for my sword. I'm gonna die for the people I love, the person I love. And that's what keeps him going. And then he reclaims and rebuilds his identity. And so when he defeats Death, he tells, you know, Death, pick it up. And then Death, like, goes in front of him, sees something different, snarls, and he looks Death straight in the eyes and he doesn't show fear because he's fighting for something that he, he's fighting for the people he loves. And he's rebuilt his identity. And that scene was just so good and perfect and amplifying his arc and ending it up. I, I really wish it was kind of like the last fight scene because after that, you have the Jack Horner scene, which almost felt a little strange, which was still a good fight scene, but it, it, I kind of just wish that they'd ended it with that scene. I feel like that would have been more thematic, but even still, it was a really, really perfect way to exemplify his arc. Yeah, and also, not only does everything just reconcile, the scene looks awesome because of the animation. I gotta say, though, personifying death, very easy. And even with lines like, I laugh in the face of death, 
just exemplified in this movie. But also, like, the, the, the phrase, death is chasing you, is just really easy to write into a character. And usually death is a, you know, a hooded figure or Satan or something like that. But to have him fit in the world as a wolf where there's a bunch of other talking animals just works. And it's it's because he thinks he's a bounty hunter at first. And then, yeah just kind of really personifies death really well yeah we've i i think we're all in agreement that death is the best character of this film just how he's portrayed how he's animated his voice everything about him is really cool and i just love like the first scene we see him all of that is like a foreshadow no one's ever defeated me like oh yeah yeah okay papoose is gonna defeat you no he doesn't no one's ever gonna defeat death and like death is quite literally chasing me that one scene where Poos realized that he is dead, that was just so terrifying because he literally destroys his previous lives. And then he says, I've been there for all of your deaths. And he says, You are nobody hunter. You are death. And I don't mean it metaphorically or rhetorically or poetically or theoretically or in any other fancy way. I'm death. Straight up. And that is just so terrifying and so strong and powerful and i love it Mm -hmm. i do have one qualm in that his motivations are kind of weird and not really explained very well he doesn't need motivations he's death straight up (laughs) (laughs) i suppose that i suppose that's true it's just like he basically says like i'm not a cat person and like i think his from what i can tell his basic motivation is you're just another cocky arrogant hero who's lived too long and has spent frivolous lives and so i'm gonna end you which is okay it just felt a little strange for me but i mean otherwise still like his the mysterious aspect though is definitely one of the best parts at least initially of his character because we don't know what he is we just know he's there and he's he's coming and you can't stop him like I said, I don't think death needs a motivation because that's, like I said, the the, the best way to personify death is it's just always there. But I, I do think actually they did a good job with what little motivation he had. I think it makes sense to be coming after Poos after his ninth life because he's obviously not taking himself seriously. And so death is like, why don't I just take this now? That's that's he has that conversation when he's walking around in the where where he gets to talk to his all, all his past lives in the the glass structures, and he just says, I I've let you live your eight lives, and you're obviously not going to do anything with your ninth, so why don't I just end it now? Honestly, death is trying to get Poos to realize the value of life. Now he doesn't actually want that, but that's his role is to scare him to realize that death is imminent and that he must take it seriously for once in his life. Yeah, it also goes back to the phrase i don't know if you guys have heard this but i have definitely heard it before maybe it's in a nursery rhyme i don't know but death being called the great humbler and that's definitely death's role in this whole movie Mm -hmm. he's just there to humble and show poos that he's not as great as he may think he is sure he's talented and all these things but it's in poos's head it's only him and death just being a humbler eradicates that kind of idea. Ironically, death is kind of what, in a certain sense, saves Poos, because now he's taking his last life seriously, and, more importantly, he's letting other people in. No longer is his first love, as Kitty calls it, the the call to adventure, because even Poos realizes, I've kind of been alone. Even though I've had this great, these incredible lives, I've, it's always been me. And now I actually want to share it with someone. And so he opens up to people around him and he opens up to Kitty specifically to be someone she can trust. And that's very important. And it's an important lesson, I think, that all of us can learn that we don't get nine lives. We get one and we better spend it well 
and we don't want to spend it on the road alone because it can be a lonely road. Yeah. As much as sequels can continue on a story from before, like I said before, it's a standalone movie. It kind of has all the themes you would expect for working as a team, you're not alone, live life to the fullest, all of those working together. And that's why I think it was just an, an incredible movie. And there's a lot you can learn from it and enjoy from it. Like it, it can, you can just enjoy it for what it is. And we definitely did that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our commentary on Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. We really enjoyed seeing it. If you haven't seen it, make sure to go see it. Make sure you follow us on all our social medias. We have a YouTube. If you're watching this, you already know that. We are doing videos as well as audios on Spotify. So subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Rate us if there's a rating system. Give us a thumbs up, whatever, five stars, whatever there is. Also join our Discord. Like I said before, we have some good discussions over there. And also follow our Instagram where we have updates on when episodes go live and also other news and stuff like that. All of this, you can join our community and have a good discussion. We're also on TikTok where we have short form content. So give us a follow over there. Share this with your friends. We love you all. Have a great day. Peace out. Peace. See you guys later.